You are listening to the official podcast of the First Baptist Church of Hamilton, Illinois, a church committed to Christ and His Word. We exist to glorify God through unity, love, and maturity. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We will begin in verse 13 and conclude in verse 20. And before we begin, let's pray. Father, you have given each of us gifts, not just gifts in the sense of money or talents, but two specific great gifts, life and salvation. Lord, may we learn today how to find joy in those gifts above anything else. For Jesus' sake, amen. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all this, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given to him. For this is his lot." Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. If you remember last week, I talked about how the workaholic has all kinds of things that they spend all their time working for the nice house, the pool, the television, car. I talked about how they're often so busy working that they rarely have time to enjoy those things. What the author of Ecclesiastes now points out in verse 13 is this aspect of hoarding all these things. You see, there's no sharing in the bountiful blessings of God. How often do we forget that while, yes, we are working long, hard hours, that God has given us these things. Our task, as we have learned so far in Ecclesiastes, is to toil in our labor. This traces its roots to Genesis, specifically Genesis three seventeen through 19, which says, and, he's, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But this task is to be done with joy. Now you may be thinking, how in the world is our labor joyful? If you've been paying attention so far in our studies, you should know it is Simply that even in our toil, we know it doesn't last forever. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they created for us and posterity, all of their descendants, death, both physical and spiritual. 
The good news is that God, in eternity past, had a plan through Jesus. Yet we often get so caught up in ourselves that we believe we can save ourselves by our possessions, especially money. The author of Ecclesiastes has repeatedly told us about the vanity of having a lot of money. Now in verses 13 and 14, he tells us about the vanity of losing it. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Essentially, what he is saying is, what might be here today will be gone tomorrow. This brings me to my first point. Much like life, money is temporary, but eternity is never-ending. The preacher calls this a grievous evil, which means it makes him sick to think about it. He gives us an explanation of what he means. He tells us what Martin Luther is later to show, that God permits the very riches in which people trust to bring about the ruin of those who own them. This happens all the time. Look at gambling. People will bet their entire paycheck because if they win, they have more money. But what happens more often than not? They lose, that's right. And then they have to go home and tell their spouse or whoever that they lost all of their money in a bad venture. Or as the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. In other words, he has nothing to leave his son because he was not wise with what he had. It is the never-ending theme of humanity. We want more, especially when it comes to money. We're never satisfied. How many of you here would like to have a sizable amount of money to leave to your grandchildren or children or charity? Most of us dream of being able to do that. The preacher assumes that we know it is a good thing to be wise with our money. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. See, the distinction is that we should not be so concerned with getting money that we store it up in hoards. Why is that the case? Well, he tells us in verse 15, he says, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. How true is that? Have you ever heard the saying, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? It's because we cannot take anything with us when we go. Now, I'm a little upset because I wanted to use a great illustration and put it on the TV, but I was scrolling through the internet and I found a picture of a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Ruined my whole sermon, so we're done, we can go home. No, I'm kidding. You get the idea. You can't take anything with you. In the third chapter of Genesis, we see the reality of not taking anything with us when we die. Even though I have seen the picture of the U-Haul being pulled, or being pulled by the hearse, it's meaningless. Going back to Genesis 3, specifically verse 19, we see this reality. It says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Nothing is going with us, and even if it did, it's going to turn to dust too. Everything breaks down to nothing but dirt eventually. Even when you look at rocks with fossils in them, a rock is essentially hardened dirt. 
everything returns to this. For those of you familiar with Job, you should be reminded that nothing is going with us. Job tells us this as well. Job one twenty one, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Job is not saying that we will be physically naked when we die. Some of us might, but he's saying we're not going to have anything with us. We're not going to have possessions. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the vanity that the preacher in Ecclesiastes speaks to. Remember last week I said we need to be content in Christ. Instead, we often find ourselves chasing money, among other things, for our contentment. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? This points us to a sobering reality, our own mortality. Sometimes, even as followers of Christ, our emotions get in the way and we worry about dying. This should not be the case. We should embrace death as it brings us fully into the presence of the Lord. If you fear death, you need to come talk with me. Anxiety can be crippling, and Christ frees us from that. It reminds me of a time when I had crippling anxiety over death, just from facing my own mortality. This is before I truly knew and fell in love with Jesus. A long time ago, some of you may know, I was a funeral director. I was around death every day. Day in and day out, I would see people at their darkest moment in life, the loss of a loved one. And on one hand, I'd become desensitized to death. And on the other hand, I couldn't help but have anxiety attacks when I think about myself dying. I had no hope. I did not truly know what would come after life. I thought I was a Christian. I thought I would go to heaven, but in reality, I didn't truly know. And so I would get crippling anxiety to where I would have a panic attack. I cannot tell you how much joy I have to not know, or to now know that I'm going to heaven because Christ stepped down from heaven and took on my sins, and he did the exact same thing for every single one of us. The preacher tells us in a summary why we shouldn't live for money. He says, Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Think back to our earlier studies in Ecclesiastes. We spoke of rich movie stars and other famous people who seemingly have it all, and they're often the most depressed and lonely people. As one commentator describes this verse, it, quote, gives us a pathetic picture of where greed will lead, end quote. This happens with the rich most of the time. Now, I can't help but think of Charles Dickens here, his novella, A Christmas Carol. 
Many of you here are probably familiar with it. In it, we read about Ebenezer Scrooge. He is described by Dickens as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint. He hates Christmas because he thinks it's reckless spending. In fact, Scrooge's last name, and this is, remember, this is a novel that was just conjured up out of thin air by a man named Charles Dickens. Scrooge's last name has entered the English language as a byword for greed and misanthropy. Misanthropy is the general hatred, dislike, distrust, or contempt of the human species, human behavior, or human nature. You see, Scrooge was so consumed by money and greed that he ended up hating his fellow man. He was a lonely old man who had no one. And in case you haven't read it, I won't ruin the story for you today. I encourage you to read it. It's quite good. <clears throat> in 1 Timothy six seventeen, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The author of Ecclesiastes first said it like this, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. He, much like Paul, is pointing us to God. Job said it too. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This brings me to my second point. Everything is God's, not ours. Use it wisely and find joy in it. Now, if you've paid attention so far in our study in Ecclesiastes, you probably are thinking that the preacher does not really believe that life is very enjoyable. Coincidentally, that's my third point. Without Christ, life is not enjoyable. If we do not have Christ, we have false enjoyment because we are not free. We are slaves to sin. The lost do not realize this. The author of Ecclesiastes realized it, and when we read verse 19, we need to pay close attention to how it's phrased in order for us to catch a very profound insight. I'll admit that I missed it until I got further into my study. One commentator said it perfectly. Quote, Earlier, the preacher listed some of the many reasons why accumulating money is vanity, Yet here he tells us explicitly that if we are wealthy, we should enjoy it. It almost sounds like a contradiction, but notice where the power of enjoyment comes from. It comes from God. Both having things and enjoying things are gifts from God, end quote. You see, the Bible gives us the ability to have balance. We can be wealthy and still honor God. We can be poor and honor or dishonor God. But without the Bible, would any of us be wise stewards with our money? I can absolutely assure you the answer is no. Sure, you could be a natural saver, but does that mean you're being a wise steward with your money? No. Because you might be saving it when you could use it to help others. 
This leads us back to our contentment in Jesus. It takes us back to a key verse in Job. The spot I have been referencing today is Job 121. And however, Job 122 sums it up. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Essentially, this verse tells us that even though Job had everything from his wealth to his family taken from him, he did not blame God because he knew it all belonged to God. He trusted God and knew that everything would work out fine. This leads me to my final point. In the good and the bad, trust God. He's not doing anything wrong by our standards. The our standards part is key. We often don't view this correctly. When things go awry in our lives, we blame God. We get mad at God. We curse God. But when we look at things by God's standards, we see that God has a plan and that we're in the wrong. We realize that everything belongs to God, including us. So to summarize, first, much of life, much like life, money is temporary, but eternity is never-ending. We need to be more concerned with what is going to happen after we die than what happens before we die. But the two go hand in hand. You see, by how we act before we die determines the outcome of what happens after we die. If we're not in Christ before we die, we're not going to have Christ after we die. And if we don't, if we do have Christ now and we don't follow his commands, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. There has to be a relationship. Now, This doesn't mean that we're careless and aimlessly wandering through life. To the contrary, we're called to evangelism, discipleship, missions, etc. That's an eternal focus. We spend more time, as Marie Drumwright once said, she was the prayer strategist for the International Mission Board. She said, we spend more time praying sick saints out of heaven than we do praying the lost into heaven. We don't have a real eternal focus. Second, everything is God's, not ours. Use it wisely and find joy in it. If we are doing what we are called to do, we will find joy using the possessions that God has given us wisely. Third, in the good and the bad, trust God. He's not doing anything wrong by our standards. Don't let the schemes of the devil cause you to go against God or to become angry with God. If only we had faith like Job. When he was tested and his money, possessions, and even his family were taken from him, he blessed God. Now he tore his robe, he was upset, but he blessed God. Our application today is to view what we have from God's perspective and determine how we should be using it to glorify and advance his kingdom on earth. When we do this, we are truly aligning our will with God's will. Only then do we see freedom in Christ. Only then do we become generous. Only then are we being obedient to God. You see... When we are stuck as slaves to sin, we're trapped. We don't see joy. 
we see, oh no, my life's falling apart again. I can't believe this is happening. I'm just stuck in a rut. In the last two weeks, my wife was rear-ended in my truck. I've been behind on schoolwork. I've been behind on this, behind on this. But, you know, I'm not sitting here going, oh, no. Yeah, it gets, it gets old. And I'm like, wait, well, this is rough. But at the same time, I know God's got a plan. I know this is just a season of life. So I see the joy in it. If we do not stop and think about God's view on something via prayer and discernment, we are not in a good place. Everything that we do in our life should be surrounded by those two things. We need to pray about it. Then we need to think about it and wait for God to give us the answer. Now, sometimes that seems impossible. Like, so say you're sitting there and you're like, oh, so-and-so is on the ground and looks like they need CPR. I need to stop and pray about this. No, you can pray and do CPR at the same time. There's an element of large things. Like if you're going to purchase a home, you pray about it. You seek God about it. If you're going to get married, if you're going to do anything, you seek God. And it could just be a quick prayer of, Lord, if this is not what you want, let me know now. And sometimes he'll let you know right on the spot. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings you have given each of us. Whether a lot or a little, you are the giver of all things. As Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us be a people who bless you in the good times and bad. Help us to be thankful and content in all things. You could have been a God that ended the story after Adam and Eve sinned. And instead, your son stepped down from glory to wear our sin and bear our shame. And for that, we are thankful. Lord, fill us with a conviction to keep eternity on our minds. For Christ's sake, amen. Thank you for listening to the official podcast of the First Baptist Church of Hamilton, Illinois. If you have questions about today's message, please reach out to us via our website at www.fbcofhamilton.com.